You're listening to audio from Journey Bible Church. Join us every week for sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you would like to connect with us, head to journeybible.org connect. Good morning again. Kind of feels like I just was up here. If you're a guest this morning, my name's Mike Bickley. I forgot to introduce myself. I serve on the staff here at Journey Bible Church. And when we gather together on Sundays, one of the elements that is continually a part of our service is breaking open the Word of God and studying it to see if we can find the guidance and direction that we need to live our lives in this world. We're seeking God's will. We're seeking God's direction. We're not trying as a church to follow after our culture. The Bible actually commands us to be salt and light to our culture. And so we believe that God's timeless word is what guides us and provides for us what we need to know and what we need to do to live out his will in the midst of our broken world. If you've got your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4. We're going to be continuing this morning where Pastor Mark left off last week, um, where he taught uh, through the first uh, 12 verses out of the book, uh, the fourth chapter of the book of James. And James is all about us putting our faith to work. He doesn't see faith as an intellectual set of beliefs that we hold to only. He sees faith as a verb. It's something we live out by the way that we practice those beliefs in real time, 24-7. And that's why we entitled this series, Faith at Work. And this morning, uh, we're going to pick up on this idea of worldliness that Mark introduced us to last week, and how worldliness impacts our hearts, our lives, and our community. And this morning, we're going to see this idea that worldly presumption and worldly prosperity are dangers that we are called to avoid. So I'd like to read through our passage. By the way, I think most of you know this, but the Bible is broken into chapters and verses. Those were not a part of the original writings. We added those later so that we could find our way around when we were studying together. So when I say James, you know that's the book. And when I say chapter 4, you know where to go. And when I say verse 13, you can turn to that exact spot no matter what version uh, you might be reading from in the Bible. And so this morning, our, our chapter um, breaks between four and five, but that's a bad spot because there's a continuation of thought that we need to capture together. So we're going to look at chapter four, verse 13, through five, um, chapter five, verse six, and I'm going to read these verses, and then we'll go back through them. So listen as we read God's word. Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow we will go into such a such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, 
Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields and who you, which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let me pray for us. God, we ask now that um, these pointed and severe words would penetrate to the place in our hearts that you need to speak. Each of us is at a different place as we've walked in here this morning. Each of us at a different place in the journey. God, I pray that you would speak to each of us in a way that shows us what we should do to live a life that's dependent on you rather than independent from you. In God's name, amen. You know, there's some things we do for our physical health we just don't like doing. Like, I'll just be honest with you, I do not like going to the dentist. Do I have anybody that joins me? I I won't say I I dislike going to the dentist. It just, it's a chore. Is there anybody else that feels like it's at best a chore? How many of you have like dental fear? Like you don't want to go. But let's face it, right? You go in, they find a small cavity. They, they want to drill it, fill it. That's way better than a root canal. Can I have an amen? Right? Same thing with your annual physical, right? You go in. Why do you do that? You do it because over time, there are small things that we may be making decisions to do, like eat a fatty steak twice a day. And to find out that sometimes the way that we're doing these small things are catching up to us. And so your annual physical is like, hey, you know what? Um, You you probably, your cholesterol at at 499 is probably a little too high. and, And you probably need to make some changes to your diet. But see, if we don't go to the dentist, we don't go do an annual physical All these little incremental things, decisions that we make that may be small unhealthy decisions begin to mount up and they can actually become a major issue. You can find yourself at risk for stroke or for a heart attack. It's the same thing with our spiritual health. James in this section of the book is being pretty severe. He's being very direct. He's being harsh. Now, James himself is just one of those matter-of-fact kind of guys, and he's laying it out for us. But this section, this section is even more severe. It has a lot of the language of the prophets and the woe statements of Jesus in mind when we're reading through this. And so James is kind of like the doctor. You've walked into the office. You've missed five years of physical exams. He's just looked at all of your numbers. He's just taken his appraisal. And he says this. "Um, I hate to tell you this, but you're going to have to change something this week or you may not be around next month. You've gotten in a really 
bad place. And your health is seriously in jeopardy. And that's kind of what's going on here. He's not talking to everybody. He's talking to the people who through a series of small compromises over time have gotten themselves to a place where they think that they are in charge of their own souls and that they're in charge, really, of their own future. James is going to address two ways that worldliness creeps up and overtakes us. He's going to talk about, first, the fact that we want to make plans independent of God. We want to make our own plans. We want to set our own destiny. We want to chart our own course. And then secondly, we begin to lay up treasures for ourselves. We begin to think that the world owes us and that we should have everything that we want. And what's amazing about this is worldliness oftentimes, as, as James is working through all of chapter 4 and all of chapter 5 on this subject, he, he's, he's, and by the way, the world is a rival system set up, by, uh, set up against God. It's ruled by Satan, and its desire is to keep us from following God's will and embracing God's ways. And James is saying that when we fall into worldliness, even in small ways, if we're not careful, it'll creep up and build up over time to where we'll find ourselves almost in a place where we're unrecognizable. And we're really in jeopardy. So, worldliness. The first thing he talks about is this idea of making up our own plans in chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. And he calls it arrogance, presumptive arrogance. He says, for you and I to live as if we are the masters of our destiny is nothing more than arrogance. It's pride out of control. It's presumption. It's presuming upon God that he's here to do what I want. You know, when we were in teaching team, notice that phrase there, living independent from God. This week, as, as we were in teaching team, um, Luke Hoagland, our, our young adult minister, um, kept saying, you know, Mike, the word I keep thinking about is independent, living independent of God, looking at what's going on and just, I'm doing it from my own framework rather than God's framework. And so I, I want you to maybe, if you want to summarize things, what he's saying is a life lived independently from me. If you're a Christian and you're acting like a functional atheist, you're going to find yourself in a very prideful, standoffish point Here's what the verses say. Come now, but you'll notice both 4.13 and 5.1 begin with that phrase, come now. It could be, it could be, this is how I would say it. Hey, listen up. You who say, hey, tomorrow, today, we're going to go and into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Notice the presumption here. I get to decide when I'm going to go, today or tomorrow. I decide where I'm going to go, to what town or thing. And I decide what's going to happen. I'm going to make money. I'm going to make a profit. Now, there, there's nothing wrong with making a profit. There's nothing wrong with setting a direction. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do well in your work or the business that you have. 
But here, the idea is such that there's kind of this presumptive arrogance, like, I'm in charge. I will do this. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You know, none of us knows what tomorrow holds. We, we all think we do. We think it's going to be another day. We think tomorrow that we'll go to school. We think tomorrow we'll go to work. We think tomorrow we will wake up. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You're a puff of smoke would be another way of saying this. That's blowing in the wind and will dissipate in a moment. Your life in the scope of eternity, the span of your years, even if God gives you 100 years, 110 years, it's still just, it's a dot on the line. Here for a little while, and you vanish. The brevity of life. Remember what Jesus said to the man who was storing up treasures for himself and filling his barns and then building more barns? He says, you fool. Today, your life will be taken from you. What, what good is all that wealth then? And his point in Luke 12 was, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Instead, he says, you and I ought to say this. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Now, by the way, I don't think James is giving us a mantra that we add to the end of everything we say. Like, I don't think he, he I, I'm going um, to go buy a new car tomorrow if the Lord wills. You know, I'm going to make an A in school tomorrow if the Lord wills. I don't think we're supposed to attach that to the end of every sentence. What he's saying is there should be a mindset in our hearts that God's will is the most central thing in my life. And whether things go in a good direction or things go in a hard direction, I'm trusting God because he's in control. And I do say that occasionally. I had, I had someone say to me on the mission trip, I hope you come home safe. And I said, if the Lord wills. Because see, when, when I went on that mission trip to Iraq and to Turkey, I know that the people that we are training from other parts of the world, safety is not their concern. They have given up safety by even coming to the training. The Lord's will is that they get trained so they can share Christ in the Middle East with their Islamic friends who have no hope apart from the words that they will share with them and the Bible that they will give to them. If the Lord wills, then I will do this. Then I will do that. It's a heart attitude. He says the opposite of that, if that's not your heart attitude, is boasting in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. I think what he's trying to get across here is, hey, do you remember the evil one, the fallen angel, and why he fell is because of his pride, his arrogance. And so James is calling us out here. He's wanting us to make sure that we don't walk through life as a functional atheist 
just planning our lives based on what we want to happen and the desires and dreams that we have. And we're not just asking God to rubber stamp it and validate it and make it happen. We're seeking him, his kingdom, his righteousness, his will. And trying to live in light of those things. You know, you live in a world, I, I don't know if you remember, but you, you will drive downtown and there will be billboards, billboards that will say something like, you deserve this. You know, the world tells you that you should be the master of your own future, that you can do anything you want, that you must put yourself first, that you deserve to be happy, that the world is your playground. Have you ever run into one of those people? They're running over people on their playground. They're using others to make themselves happy at a steep cost. They're doing what they want and manipulating others to get what they want. They're putting themselves first and then walking over others to get where they are going. You don't want to run into that person, right? Say, right. You don't want to be that person. You know, it just takes one little compromise followed by another little compromise followed by another little compromise. And we end up being there. Are you guilty of presumptuous arrogance? Are you seeking your own dreams and desires? Or are you someone who is planning for the future, but at the same time seeking God's will for today, tomorrow, and the next day. You know, when I was a young Christian, I had somebody who was wiser than me. I don't even remember who it was, but this phrase stuck with me, and I've, I've kind of remembered it in several different versions, but it, it went something like this. Plan your life as if there's no end. In other words, Mike, you don't know when the Lord's coming back, and you need to plan your life to fulfill God's purposes for your life as if Jesus won't come in your lifetime. Then he said, but you need to live your life as if you don't have tomorrow. He says, you need to live each day as if it's the last day, as if God's not going to grant you another day. And I think this is really wise wisdom for us. It's an attitude. Why am I here? What does God have for me? Why did God give me my personality? Why did God give me my gifts and talents? Why did God give me my education, my experiences? What does he want me to do with those things? How does he want me to make the world a better place? How can I do good for society? How can I advance the gospel till every person in the whole world is heard? That's the hard attitude that James is looking for here. And he's trying to stop the other attitude where we think we are in charge and the master of our own destiny. Look at verse 17. In a way, it kind of feels out of place. It's, it's a principle. It's a statement right in the middle of this passage on worldliness. It, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him and his sin. I mean, that, that's just kind of, a, kind of a blanket principle that applies to everything. And I'm reading through this passage, and I'm trying to figure, why did he put it here? 
And I began to look at the two things we're looking at, making our plans independent of God and then uh, securing our own wealth independent of God. And, and both, of, both of those, you know, James is calling out the things that we will, uh, by uh, commission, do wrong that are against God's plan. But here he seems to be talking about the sin of omission. And here, here's what happens. When you and I pursue a certain kind of life, not only are we breaking God's direct commands, but we're also missing out on all the opportunities we have to fulfill other things God wants done. I think this verse is here to let us know that when we live independent of God and his purposes, we miss the chance to do good, God's good, in our world. And he sandwiched it in here just kind of as a warning just to let us know. You're not just breaking this, you're missing this. And and, and this is one of those amazing things, right? People who are self-directed, self-indulgent, self-seeking, miss out on the joy of sacrificial service and laying down their lives for, for other people. So it's not just that you're headed in a wrong direction, you're missing the right direction. Now, these next verses um, are going to get uh, a little bit uh, more intense. Um, And so I I just want you to know that uh, this passage now is going to take it up a notch. (laughs) You're thinking, really? Yes, it is. So I was trying to think this week, how do I give people a break? Like in the middle of this, what's a cute story I could tell? Is there one related to money? And, and then I started thinking about my wife and I, and I said, those aren't cute stories. And, and so I just decided I would share some really bad dad jokes just to take a break, okay? So everybody, everybody go like this for a second and, and pretend you're shaking the worldliness out of your fingers, out of your body, okay? And here we go, all right? What did the baby corn say to the mama corn? Where's the popcorn? Where do boats go when they are sick? To the boat dock. Why won't eggs tell jokes? Because they would crack each other up. Why can't a nose be 12 inches long? Because it would be a foot. Come on. Look, I'm, I'm a veteran dad. You know how long it takes to collect that kind of material? About one second. Yeah. All right. We took a little bit of a pause here. And it, wouldn't it be great if life was an endless string of dad jokes? And that was the worst it ever got right here. You know, some of you are, I actually saw you writing them down. So they can't be that bad, right? So... So wouldn't it be great if that was what life was? It was that easy. I just had to endure bad dad jokes. But life isn't like that. The world is a rival system. Satan wants your demise. He wants to tempt you and entice you. He wants to break you. He wants you to fold from your faith. He wants you to walk away from God. He wants you to live 
independent of God. He wants to attack you where it hurts the most. He wants to entice you where you're most vulnerable. And his desire is to deceive you into thinking that what he has to offer is the very best and that the things of this world are what we should acquire and live for. So James reminds us in some very uncanny ways with incredible tenacity that that's not true. And he reminds us that when we begin to lay up treasures in this world, independent of God, for ourselves, when we begin to secure and acquire wealth for ourselves, that is not only presumptive arrogance, it it really is pompous accumulation. That slide, let's just change that. It should say pompous accumulation. Do you know what the word pompous means? I looked it up, and here's what the word pompous means. It means irritatingly grand and self-important. How many of you have ever run into a pompous person? Psalm 49 says, man in his pomp, man in his self-importance is like a beast without understanding that will perish. So James now is going to use some really strong language. He's going to use the language of the prophets. He's going to use the language of Jesus when he used the woes to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. That phrase, weep and howl, is repeated and interpreted and uh, translated different ways in the Old Testament, but it's, it's a phrase that's always used in light of coming judgment. In other words, take stock. You should be in mourning mode because judgment is coming and you're going to be found as one of those who's been living opposite of the way you should. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eating. Eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. In other words, you laid up all this treasure. You're going to get to heaven, and it's not coming with you. As a friend once reminded me, the streets in heaven are paved with gold. Gold is worth less than asphalt in heaven. The very thing that we seek to accumulate and store up and get more of is of no value, zero value in eternity. And you can't take it with you. And he says here, and by the way, next week we're going to see more of this emphasis on the last days, on the return of Christ, the coming of Christ. He says, what is so grossly wrong about acquiring wealth for yourself in this season, in this time in history, is that you are laying up treasure for yourself at the moment when we are closest to the return of Christ. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud or crying out against you, The cries of the harvesters, same kind of concept, where you kept back their wages by fraud, have reached the ear, the ears of the Lord of hosts. 
You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've oppressed others. You've committed fraud against others. You made others' lives miserable so your life can be luxurious. You've kept back what you should share with your workers so that you can keep it for yourself. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. It's a reversal here. He's saying, you're getting fat like they feed a cow before they slaughter it. You think you're getting fat so that you can have a long life of self-indulgence and luxury in your day maybe tomorrow. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. I, I think this is a, a, a phrase here. It may have ended in murder as they killed people to take away their fields or sharecroppers that they overworked to a point of death. But I really think the idea here is that you've oppressed people to such a point that your hourly worker that works in your field can't feed his family. You're killing him. You're murdering him just so you can have a little bit more. And what's so amazing is that righteous person does not resist you. Do you think anybody starts out saying, I just want a little bit more? Probably. Does anybody start out saying, yeah, I'd like to commit murder? How do we get there? How do we, how do we move to a place where we'd be willing to do anything to have more? You know, here's... Uh, I, I was looking on the internet. One of the guys in our teaching team said there's some pretty cool photos if you go searching for all the past Olympic venues and to see how deteriorated, run down, abandoned and they are. And so this is, this is in Rio uh, de Janeiro in Brazil from the 2016 Olympics. On the left is the aquatic center then, and now seven years later on the right is the aquatic center. Seven years of neglect, that's all, just, just neglect. Not an intentional desire to destroy anything, not something intentionally wrong to make it bad, but just neglect. We see that in buildings. We, you, you probably see it in your house. We had to have our house painted this year. And, and it, the guy looked at it and said, there's a little neglect here. Might take like 24 coats, you know? I mean, neglect. How do we get to neglect? I call it the more monster. You know, we live in Johnson County, and the lure of wealth entices us to make small compromise after small compromise. And over time, you start adding up those small compromises, and they become larger and larger. I see this in sports, right? Hey, man, my kids want to play competitive sports. They want to play competitive soccer. And man, that is so wonderful, right? And she's doing so great. She made her first competitive team. 
wow, now that she's gone up a year, the schedule's getting intense. And, 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 but you know what? She's probably going to become the greatest soccer player in the world. And that's the most important thing. And boy, I remember I wanted to be a great athlete. And my parents would never put out for me to have all the extra stuff. So I'm going to help her. I'm going to push her. I'm going to push him. You know, he made the traveling team. It's awesome. It means we can't go to church for the next six years, but it's awesome. And it's worth it because this is something that he really wants. And, and oh my gosh, do you know how much it costs to travel? Be gone every weekend? You know, I'm going to have to divert my giving from the church so that I can afford the sports here in Johnson County. And it's okay because when he graduates, he's going to get a scholarship. She's going to get a scholarship. And then I can give twice as much to the church. Just one little compromise after one little compromise. Just a perspective, a making of plans without factoring in God's will, without asking God, without talking to God. And they begin to mount and before you know it, you're exhausted during the week and you're not even walking with God. You're not spending time with God. You're not praying. You're not seeking his counsel. And then you begin to have relational problems. You begin to have work problems. You begin to feel miserable and you begin to think that maybe happiness is more here and maybe success is more here and maybe I need more and I need more, and I need more. And I'm telling you, right here in Johnson County, you can find more. There's always a better car. There's always a better house. There's always a better kid. There's always a better wife or husband. There's always something better. There's always more, more, more. No one ever says in Johnson County, enough! You've got enough. Be content with what you have. No. A little bigger house. A little bigger car. A little bigger kid. Are you feeding the more monster? I want to give you two preemptive strikes against the more monster. Two ways that God in his word tells us from the beginning as followers of Jesus, we should be living because it's what he thinks is best for our souls. And the first is giving God the portion first that belongs to him, the tithe and offerings. Now, I know a lot of times when I start talking about money, people immediately dismiss me because the church pays me a salary. And if that's you, just go ahead and do it. But I'm going to tell you, God promises that those who honor him from their wealth, he will bless their lives. Doesn't say he'll make it easier. He promises to pour out his favor upon your soul, and he will take care of you. Write down Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. It's a great verse that talks about the honoring of God from our wealth and the first of our income and how God promises to make provision for us when we do that. 
I know that from the beginning, I was taught as a young Christian, even in high school, when I was working at Malliard's Clothing Store to give a tithe of my income. It's been a practice ever since with offerings as God has blessed us over and above that. And I'm here to tell you, it's a constant monthly preemptive strike against the materialism of our world. Second, lay up treasure in heaven. What does treasure in heaven look like? When you get to heaven, what will the treasure be? What will it look like? We know what it looks like here on earth, but what will it look like in heaven? Do you know, do you have in front of your mind a picture of heavenly treasure that you've laid up that is going to be in eternity forever? It's going to be people. The people whose lives you touched, the people that you sowed the seeds of the gospel to that germinated and bloomed and somebody else harvested. It's the person who was poor and oppressed and and you went and you served and you helped and you met a need. It's the brother or sister who is at the end of their ropes and you brought them encouragement and hope. Church, James is warning us that we can get sucked into a lifestyle that ends up to a place where we are living like a functional atheist, making plans by our own wits and our own wisdom, and we are collecting and hoarding and amassing wealth for ourselves. And he's calling out against us, don't do that. Seek the Lord's will. Seek his kingdom. And let God's blessing be invested in eternal things. Let's pray together. God, we we just confess that it is so easy for us to be sidetracked by the things of this world, to be caught and trapped, enticed and tempted, where we get to a place, God, where we often get sucked in and we just... We don't start with a big compromise. We start with a small compromise that leads to another compromise that leads to things spinning out of control. And then we find ourselves someplace we don't want to be. God, I pray if there's someone here this morning like that, that they would turn and face a new direction to begin to take preemptive strikes against the work of the evil one they would begin to make their plans based on what you've revealed in your word rather than what is in their own heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. Thanks for listening.